Hello, and welcome to First Seven Inch Club, episode 76. First Seven Inch Club is a podcast where we dig up seven inches from the past within the realms of hardcore punk and metal and discuss whether or not they're worth being remembered. We also provide facts and trivia that we get from the internet and our own personal experiences. Although we don't consider ourselves know-it-alls or experts, many other people do. Here and there, we get some things wrong. I think not last week. Last week, we got everything right. So um, oh, All of it. We got it all right. 1,000 million percent. So uh, I am Mike, and with me is Scott. Mike, I'm glad you survived the 90-degree drop, one-day <laughs> drop uh, yeah. last week. Um, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? Yeah, I got I got most of the cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing I forgot I wanted, and I'm glad I received, was the annual Grandma's Cottage Christmas Eve drop. Oh, yeah. Um, grandson cannot fail. He uh, <laughs> got a three-song banger called Favorite Places. And uh, this one's meant to sound like an old RPG game, like the town music of an old RPG game. And it yeah. works like works like a charm. Mike, have you ever had the experience of playing weird old video games at an older person's house? <laughs> what do you mean by an older person? Like this, obviously, like young people are going to know that it's no no big deal probably for them. But like we're older yeah. and video games were and in the home were new to our lives, like yeah. in some some capacity. But I still like me and my cousins grew up at our at my grandparents house and the atari was there so like all the early cutting edge shit was at my grandma's cottage so <laughs> uh that was normal but there was one time that i don't even know i like i'm not good with memories like i remember flashes of things and i can remember music and i can remember details but i don't remember like why i was in situations or what was going on but for some reason we cleaned out like a garage or something at my actual great grandma's real ass <laughs> farmhouse cottage and we found a Telstar Ranger, which was like this old Pong game, yeah. 70s game. And it's and it's uh, it came with a gun that you, you could win any game by shooting at the light bulb. That was the famous hack yeah. of those old games. And, you know, we plugged it in. It still worked. So that became go to visit my great grandma. And I'd play like Pong games <laughs> yeah. at her weird little black <laughs> and white TV. And then we also I, I want to say we had this other one that was like a yellow plastic like Montgomery Ward's one or whatever, <laughs> where it had a dial and you could just pick hockey, yeah. squash, tennis, or something like that. And it's all it's all pong, yeah. but they gave you two little controllers. And so, like, I could just see like a kid ten or fifteen years younger than me playing Zelda at his or Chrono Trigger or something yeah. <laughs> during like a dull week at Grandma's house, and it makes me feel good. Like that actually gives <laughs> me like a really weird, warm feeling to think about sitting around playing substandard games. I do have a, yeah, I, I guess I have a similar experience because I kind of lived with my grandparents when I was young because my mom was so young. And mm -hmm. But my mom had Atari because, like I said, she was young and that was yeah. like the hot thing. But I did remember like in the like my gra my grandma or grandpa's spare room, they had one of those old Pongs. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, what's this? And like <laughs> they hooked it up and it had that, that old, uh, the AV switch with like the metal tongs on it that like, yeah. I don't even think like old people remember what those look like. <laughs> yeah. And like you had to screw them into the back of the, the TV. And I was just like, whoa, because it was like, yeah. even though it was stupid and shitty compared to Nintendo, it was still like, whoa, my grandparents had video games. Like, yeah. it, was, it was pretty crazy. Well, they built the machinery back then to communicate age to you. So they would like, <laughs> like they actually had old like pong games that looked like wood grain you know they were like look like yeah. they're from another era and even then i was a child and i was from that era but i could still feel that it was <laughs> aged to have this thing that so it was a weird feeling and it was it was cool like you turn on something in a house where there shouldn't be anything like that yeah it's like some twilight zone shit to be able to get to play a game on a tv <laughs> where they should but the most important thing i got this christmas was my nescafe mug oh um, yeah the old nescafe commercials they would have people on like racing yachts 
and sitting in castles and camping on mountainsides. They would all refresh themselves by drinking brutal instant <laughs> coffee, <laughs> straight black, out of a beautiful clear glass globe. Uh, you can't get – I don't think you can get the globe they drink out of. It doesn't look like the ones you can get. But uh, that sensation, like seeing that when I was mm-hmm. like one – I was like one, I remember being one and seeing that on TV and going, man, I'll bet it rules to drink hot fluids out of a clear ball. That's so my entire life I've wanted that. And I've had 30 cups of cups of coffee since yesterday because it's just it just hits so much different when you drink out of a clear globe. It really yeah. is better. It is. It's it's forbidden. It's forbidden to drink out of clear glass. So Yeah, I don't know why people think I don't know why people think that you can have what you want. You just got to get it off <laughs> yeah. off Etsy. It's out it, there. It's somewhat dangerous, but you can do it. <laughs> it's deadly. It's, I don't know how long I'm going to last. I may not get, may, make it to episode 77, but I'm working yeah. on it. But there was there was like somebody I knew like a girl a girlfriend or something that had uh clear glass mugs and i was like are you sure like this doesn't seem right but you know they never broke but just just the other day i was over at my 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 mother-in-law's house and she comes out walking walking out drinking tea out of a little clear glass coffee mug i'm like where the fuck did you get that why do you have that how come this is the first time i'm ever noticing yeah. this well, they've been hiding it from us all I these years trade yeah um i do want i should mention that uh both me and scott have uh, access to full sound now we both well, not full sound, full internet, I should say. We both got uh, uh, just uh, surprise upgrades to our internets, which mm-hmm. mine wasn't too much of a problem. Scott's was a big problem, though. It yeah, was, it was uh, pretty bad. Big problem every every single episode. So that's good. If we sound uh, clearer, if we sound faster, that's because we have that fast <laughs> internet now. And uh, I also hope to get a, uh, a little upgrade to my, my sound because uh, Scott showed me a, an invention I didn't know existed. So mm-hmm. that's uh, cheap. So. Hopefully, I was waiting to see if I got it for Christmas. I didn't, so I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna wait and buy it probably in a week or two. So there's that. Get that out of the way. It's called a microphone. We're yes. getting microphone. I'm gonna finally buy a microphone. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> um, if you want to reach us, you can do so at first seven inch club at gmail.com. That's all letters, or you can reach us at first seven inch club on Instagram. That's probably easier. Plus, that has a little link tree, and that's where I post all the scans and all the other fun stuff. So check us out there. Um, we have a friend, we have a little partner by the name of State of Mind Recordings, and I wanted to shout out a featured record. Actually, before I shout out the featured record, I just want to say he had, a, he had a little idea that we do a secret Santa between me and Scott, so I think we're going to do that where we each pick out a 7-inch uh, for the other, and he, he's from, from the State of Mind Recordings distro, and he's going he's gonna to mail it to each of us, and then we're going to talk about it. I think we're going to do it for the old kissing contest listeners. We're going to do it movie hostage style, where mm-hmm. we're both just going to do like a quick like 15-minute reviews of the record uh, in lieu of this bullshit segment we do up front. So you won't be cheated out of a full deep dive of, a, of an old 7-inch. There will be one episode coming up. Where we'll get uh we'll get like three seven inches basically it's gonna be a real bonus and uh, hopefully it'd be timed where we could actually open the seven inches on the air so uh, mm-hmm. so, so uh, you know it'll be a surprise and then the next week we could do them uh, but anyways a uh, state of mind recordings still having their big sale stateofmindrecordings.com their distro it's uh it's this is probably gonna be your last chance after you hear this your last chance to dance because it's ending New Year's Day. And it's still 20% off everything, 20% off already rock bottom prices. Um, he does, we're talking about guilt today on the show. He does have a, a guilt later record. We're not going to talk about that. I don't give a shit about guilt. What I do give a shit about <laughs> is a band called Contention. And he has their uh, their demo on 7-inch 
uh, came out in 2019, or I think the Seven Inch came out 2019, 2020. Uh, Contention is a newer band that I really like. They're and I wanted to highlight this because they're playing. Uh, they're playing Chicago in a couple weeks. Well, actually, about a month, a few weeks, a couple two tree weeks. They're playing Chicago. I'm very pumped. There's uh, very few bands that are new that could get me out of my nice warm apartment to to go watch them because it's fucking cold out. It was negative uh, 35 a few days wow. ago. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't ever want to leave the house, but Contention is one of them. They have that old, like, uh, Hate 100 style, of fucking old Acme sounding, just gross Euro metalcore sound. Uh, I like it a lot. I've uh, The demo, I don't have. I don't have the demo 7-inch, so I was just, like, pr- browsing State of Mind recordings when I saw it. I said, holy shit. And the thing is, normal price, it's seven fifty. I would never pay that much for a 7-inch, no matter how much I like it. But uh, on sale, it's 6 bucks. That's reasonable. So he has two different versions of the 7-inch, clear with purple splatter and clear with black silk screen. I don't even know which one to get. I might get both of them. I don't know. <laughs> but but they're, but they're 6 bucks. Uh, definitely check out Contention. Uh, they rule. I missed out the first time when their their like EP came out after the demo. Like It was instantly sold out on a record. And I, and I get a shitty tape version, which I'm unhappy with, unsatisfied. But now I get this demo on 7-inch. I'm very pumped. I'm going to put in that order before the end of the year so I can save a buck fifty on this because uh, I do not want to pay seven fifty for a 7-inch. So if you also want the contention demo at 7-inch for $6, we better hit up stateofmindrecordings.com before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. What does Ilcom sound like? That's that's a terrible band name. Ilcom? Um, where do you see that? This uh, The June contention show was contention hesitate ilcom street power and burning hand at the at the, <laughs> the wham leg the wham leg they were just in they were in europe or was it is it a european show I maybe maybe yeah, yeah that makes sense wham leg it's probably it's oh yeah. yeah 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 i mean it's all it's all weird broken english yeah. over there who the fuck knows what ilcom is so uh, it's in a very it's in a very ill-advised graffiti font so i look forward to learning more about ilcom. <laughs> uh the show here they're playing with inclination which uh that's like the big. That's the that's the headlining band. They're also playing with uh, X Weapon X, which is like oh, a ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> like silly straight edge band. Which yeah. I uh, I never thought I something would happen where I would have to see that band live, but it's gonna <laughs> happen now. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna see him, I'm gonna see him live, so it should be interesting. All right. Uh, outside of that, I've um I've been uh, kind of working on the stupid project. It's not even really a project. All I've been doing is putting together a playlist. For some reason, I, I got this hair up my ass. That's a uh, that's an old saying, I think. <laughs> Get a hair up your ass. Yeah, it's in your no. It's hair. Yeah, hair it's up. A your wild ass. hair. Wild hair up your ass. I got a wild hair up my ass. About uh, I wanted to. <laughs> I watch a lot of old commercials on YouTube. I spend a lot of my free time watching old commercials. It's yeah. good to throw on in the background when you're fucking playing games or doing some stupid shit on your phone. Watch old commercials bring you back to the simpler times when you had no concerns or cares in the world. And I like doing that with my time. And uh, I was like, you know what I'm going to fucking do? I'm going to make a playlist of uh, commercials for every single day in 1988. So uh, just like commercial broadcast from every single day. Because you could do that on YouTube. YouTube has everything. It's great. Yeah. I found out doing this exercise, uh, other things that are dated on YouTube. Uh, one is soap operas. You can pretty much go back to any time you want and watch fucking old soap operas, which is crazy. Because wow. if you think about it, I don't think they stream anywhere. I don't think you could go and go and watch Days of Our Lives yeah, um, who's recording them? I mean, who's like, yeah, who's like taping that, them? Or that's the crazy thing because it's like I'm looking through 1988 YouTube right now, and it's just like every soap opera episode from 1988 <laughs> is there. Wow. It's just like yeah. I can't believe somebody record a somebody recorded, and b somebody's like I gotta put these 
um, on YouTube, and they're always like coded, so you can tell they get they get t- taken down. And somebody's like, "I'm putting them right the back. Fuck up! I'm just gonna code it." <laughs> um, so, so there's that. Um, there's also, I think, another follow up. If I, for whatever reason, want to do another follow up, it's if you put in like a date. There's usually a live performance by bands of all shapes and sizes from any date you put in, and that's yeah. pretty cool because there's like a lot of weird concerts, um, a lot of like, uh, you know. I won't say like punk shows, but you know, like a lot of uh, lower key, like bar shows or weird bands and shit like that. So, yeah. so that's cool. Uh, but back to the soap operas, I was, um, I was, I always like to give you guys like a little sleeper hit song from movies and television that I like, that I think is a real banger that you can listen to in real life. And, uh, one of the, one of the videos, the commercial videos I was watching was, uh, taken, um, the commercials were taken during a broadcast of Young and the Restless. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Young and the Restless theme. I don't know if that show's still on TV. I don't know if they still use that theme, but it's it's a real banger. If you really want to ruminate on some shit, if you have some sad stuff going on in your life, put on that that uh, Young and the <laughs> Restless theme. Um, it's also known as Nadia's theme, which was oh uh, yeah, I know yeah, that Nadia yeah. Kolmanichi. It was like her. It was kind of her walkout music <laughs> for yeah. for uh, for gymnastics. Uh, before that, it was known as Cotton's Dream. Though this song has been replaced multiple times. Um, it was that was con. I think it's Cotton's dream it was just supposed to be used as like bed music and interstitial music. Mm-hmm. It was done by a guy named Barry Devorzen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the version on Young and the Restless is Henry, Harry Mancini. So I'm not positive on that. But the the original one, the Cotton's dream, has been sampled to hell. It's been sampled by Three Six Mafia. It's been sampled by Mary J. Blige. Um, and you know, and a lot of people. But if you want, if you want that real shit, just uh, search Young and the Restless theme. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a long full version on YouTube. Just uh, just put that on and just like dwell in your thoughts because it's uh, it's one of those songs. Just like some sad piano, uh, much akin to the the Hulk Hogan Lonely Man or Hulk Hogan, the Incredible Hulk, uh, <laughs> lo- the Incredible Hulk Lonely Man theme. It's very much akin yeah. to that. So you could you can maybe maybe put those back to back and have a little cry. But yeah, check out that Young and the Restless. Yeah, they just they aired their twelve thousandth. 500th episode in may this year and they're still Jesus going fucking christ that's man. so many episodes yeah <laughs> yeah man i don't wow. like i don't i don't even know if there's like a in in for pe- like young people now no, um, back back then it was just for boredom you just be like that's like i mean i watch wrestling so i understand but wrestling yeah. is still on one fifth of the time as as soap operas and soap operas are pretty much meant for just selling products and wrestling kind of is too but i think there's a little a little more to it there's physicality and stuff like that's theatrics but but uh yeah every once in a while i'm like eh, maybe i'll just start watching old soap operas to see what that's like but yeah i'll probably never get to that um also since i was in the 80s and watching all this 1988 stuff it brought back a lot of thoughts uh, you see a lot of commercials i watch a lot of them and you a lot of these people pop into your head that you just never you never think about it anymore because they're they're trapped in the 80s so i want to ask you scott is there anybody that's basically an icon or like a close to an icon from the 80s it doesn't have to be an actor or actress just some kind of uh personality from the 80s that you know somebody that is as as little as five to ten years younger than us would have no idea who we were talking about because they were trapped in the 80s I can give you mine first because I, okay. I have a bunch, but yeah. <laughs> uh, the the one that really sticks out for me is Joan Collins. Joan Collins mm. is somebody that was all over the uh, the eighties. She's in Dynasty. She's uh, like in the tabloid. She was like a Kim Kardashian type. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, much older, <laughs> she's probably like 50 at the time, but you know, she's one of those types, like you would open a national Enquirer, and there'd be something about Joan Collins or she'd be in commercial. She's, she's all over the fucking place. And, uh, I think like as soon as January 1st, 1990 hit, no one thought about Joan Collins ever again. And uh, well, <laughs> we just, we just lost the one. I mean, maybe she doesn't count. I don't know, but, um, the, the comedian with the accordion. I'm oh, Judy Tenuta. Yeah, Tenuta. Judy 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 Tenuta is a good one too. Yeah, she was yeah. definitely very eighties. I mean, there's um, a whole bunch of stand-up comedians who were on nonstop. Who like the the Kevin Meany? He just died yeah. recently. He yeah, he's yeah. another one. Like any of those people that would be on Comedy Central in the afternoon, and we saw their routines over and over and over and for like five years, and then yeah. we think they're universal, and they are not universal. <laughs> they are no. completely lost to time. Uh, another one, Liz Taylor. Liz Taylor, huge yeah. in the '80s, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I mean, the concept of a like a like a woman above thirty being like yeah. an international sex symbol is a little bit rickety these days. But yeah. there was there was a lot. All those nighttime soap operas, like a, a dynasty and whatever, yeah. were all full of like old, not old, but just older, like above. Yeah. Adult Old women. Old bitties who were yeah. probably like twenty seven. But yeah. they, they looked like they were forty to me when I was a kid. Yeah. And that was that was the look. Yeah. Even the guys, the guys were all gray haired with mustaches and stuff like that and taking their shirts off on TV. I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was actually I got I I thought of the word bitty because one of my Christmas gifts is uh there's this old Joan Crawford movie I like called Straight Jacket. Mm-hmm. And um there's a there's a double feature Blu-ray. It's Straight Jacket and another movie called Berserk, and they both star Joan Crawford. And it's called the 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 Psycho Biddy Double Feature. And <laughs> I was like, man, I haven't seen that word Biddy in so long. And uh, but yeah, yeah, it's very <laughs> rude, rude, but it's kind of a cheap Blu-ray. So I, you know, it's yeah. fucking low class, but you know. So Linda Evans, the, sorry, Linda Evans is the other one that I'm always yeah, thinking of. Yeah, the blonde from uh, Dynasty. She's fucking. She's she looked sixty years old back then. So she was, she, yeah, she didn't have a good look either. She looked yeah. she looked a little worn out back then, but she was like a, yeah. People a, be like, she's so beautiful. It's yeah, like, okay, sure. Thing. I mean, when I think about it, one of my first, maybe my first big TV crush <clears throat> was uh, Lana from Three's Company, and mm-hmm. uh, I look back on that now, and I'm like, she's like an old woman, like an older <laughs> woman. So uh, yeah, that's that was that was how how it was back in the day. You had uh you had a lust after these older women. So. <laughs> that's all they gave you. <laughs> yeah, so you people now you should feel lucky. You get to lust after people your daughter's age. That should probably yeah. make you feel great. It was yeah. uh, the exact opposite in the eighties. Anyways, enough eighties talk. We mm-hmm. can get into this show. Uh, this is our big Christmas episode. So we're doing a band called Guilt and their uh their first seven inch called Empty. Um, it's actually empty question mark, so it's more like empty. empty? Uh, so, so, uh, it's guilt uh, called empty on initial records from 1993. And uh, if you don't know guilt, they were a band from Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, um, headed by Duncan Barlow, who's like a guy in, who's in all the bands from Louisville. Yeah. Um, the it's funny because their discogs says they're new school hardcore, which I guess is true, but I just never mm-hmm. would think of them as, as that. Um, they existed between 1991 and 1997. And uh, they played a couple reunion shows, and I think that was it. And uh, it this is a band like I told Scott <clears throat> that I was gonna I was gonna throw in a softball because you're it's fucking Christmas, it's traveling, you're mm-hmm. doing shit, you're not really thinking. And I did not even expect to see as much info on one single band we ever talked about as there is on <laughs> Guilt on the internet. This was like it was so yeah. much that I'm probably I'm gonna probably like Scott's gonna hit this out of the park and I just barely took notes because it's just like it was overwhelming how much info there is like there is a there's a, a website called Louisville Hardcore History yep. and it's it's 
terribly designed, but it's one of the most thorough uh, websites for like a hardcore scene ever created. It has to be the most thorough. Uh, yeah, they're pretty proud of themselves out there in Louisville. Yeah, yes. Yeah. They're like, you can look up a band and it'll tell you the maximum uh, amount of people they played in front of, which is uh, an, an insane stat that I don't think <laughs> any band from the 90s needs, but you know, it's there if you need to know. So um, I'm not going to bore you too much. I'm just going to give you the, the liner notes with guilt. Um, they were a band that I, what I didn't know is they were kind of at, they happened at the same time as Endpoint. And Endpoint mm-hmm. is like the big Louisville, Kentucky band, like the first one that people remember. Yeah. Uh, that also had Duncan Barlow. And I believe he just played guitar. I don't think he sang yep. for Endpoint. Yeah. And, um, so they, they were kind of guilt and Endpoint were happening parallel, but it seemed like guilt got going when Endpoint was wrapping up. Um, guilt actually started out as a band called step down and, um, they played for about a year with that name. And then one day, Duncan Barlow um, came to practice, and he said, uh, I'm the guy who sucks, plus I got depression. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, I just want to sing about depressions now. And uh, th- a few of the guys were like, okay. And another a couple of the other guys were like, okay, that's that's stupid. All and right. Then- <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the, this empty 7-inch that we're talking about is their last kind of like final Songs they wrote a step down, uh, kind of thrown out, and at the time for a new record label called Initial Records, which uh, this is Initial Records, release number three, and we'll get into that in the next segment. But uh, so this is kind of like the the last the last gasp of step down, and then um, they they would go on to record another seven inch called Synthasia, mm-hmm. which is uh, the more guilt style stuff, and we're not talk- going to be talking about that one, but um, <laughs> that was like I think they they it guilt became a band that would just break up and reform uh every other uh, like after every release so i think they broke up after that and then they the the bio which i think is written by duncan barlow um yeah it's from their least, uh, their comp it's from that yeah comprehensive yeah guide. it kind of like glazes over how a band with uh so much like i don't know like um just like shakiness i guess uh so much turbulence would just uh just happen to get signed to victory because that <laughs> doesn't happen i mean back then it was still new victory wasn't like the big business it was but it was still kind of a business so it's kind of weird that just happened to end up on victory and i think they immediately broke up again and then they released one more thing on victory and then they immediately broke up again and then uh duncan formed by the grace of god which i think was a band just solely created by victory records yeah and uh that's why i ended up buying this guilt seven inch because i always just kind of glom the two on but i never liked by the grace of god they were they always stunk uh (laughs) but i liked guilt the guilt was like the uh the first the first victory band that i was like i don't know about this because it was weird it wasn't like it wasn't earth crisis it wasn't snapcase it wasn't even bloodletter strife it was it was guilt it was it was to me at the time it was kind of emo but it wasn't really emo at all it was just kind of weird um it was i still remember i'm speaking of bardstown ugly box if you don't know that was their victory debut and um it has like a sound to it that i've still the only thing i've ever heard replicated not like musically but just like the recording sound it sounds like kind of raw kind of like you know live i guess and uh it's always had a cool sound um this seven inch (laughs) sounds nothing (laughs) like that but i just wanted to say that's why uh that's why I wanted to do this Guilt 7-inch because I saw it and I was like, I have never even thought about Guilt existing before Victory Records. So I, And then I, I jumped on buying it and then I saw that they had other shit and I was like, that's crazy. We got to do this. Um, I guess uh, so we could get into the the, uh, the single the, the members because another thing that sucks about this is I was like, okay, we're going to do Guilt. That's mm-hmm. an easy way to shoehorn in more Ink and Dagger talk. But 
the nope. <laughs> member the member of Ink and Dagger that was in Guilt was not in on the seven inch. So I was like, mm-hmm. ah fuck. So I'm just gonna say Ashley State, I think her last name was, was uh yeah. she was on Bardstown Ugly Box and she would later join Ink and Dagger. But unfortunately she's not on that seven inch. So Ink and Dagger super fans, you can turn this re- this uh podcast off now because <laughs> this is gonna be the end of Ink and Dagger talk. But mm-hmm. uh so yeah, this seven inch this or this yeah, the seven inch has a you know, slightly different lineup than uh, than the you know the guilt that I think people ca- came to know and love. But Duncan Barlow's on vocals. This guy has so much stuff about him. I don't need to go into it. He was an endpoint. He was in every single big Louisville band. Um, he is a guy who is. I won't say he's like up on the internet, but like you could Google his name. He has you know he has like DuncanBarlow.com. You don't <laughs> like it's not even like he has an Instagram. He has a .com. So. I don't really need to fill you in on this guy. He's he's done it all. I, I just want to say the he's an author now. I guess um, yeah. he makes like a lot of music that I, I don't care for. He's he was in a band called the AC Lake that was uh, their biggest claim to fame was they did a split with At the Drive-In. So yeah, <laughs> and I I listened to it today and it was horrible. I was like this fucking sucks. Um, but I never knew this. Like I knew. So there's this big, big '90s thing about uh, "By the Grace of God" played a played a show with Floor Punch, and I guess Floor Punch played before "By the Grace of God," and they had a lot of a lot of goons in the audience, and I th- think there was like a lot of goon talk on stage, and then after the Floor Punch set, "By the Grace of God" came on, and Duncan Barlow made the speech about how they would never play with Floor Punch again, and because uh, yeah. they're fucking goons, and uh, he quickly got punched. Because <laughs> um, that is uh, like when me and Scott were telling, talking about how you how you handle the business, the problems in hardcore back in the day. That's how you handled them. So <laughs> quickly so, punched anything that was offending. Yeah, so that's uh, I guess the floor punch fans outnumber the by the grace of God fans at that show. And I was like, oh, you know, I've always been like, that's pretty shitty. That's shitty. Those fucking guys are goons, whatever, fucking assholes. And then I found out through this little like bio or whatever that he uh, he. After that, he resigned from hardcore, which is yep. already corny. But yep. he did an interview in Punk Planet as his reg- resignation to hardcore, and I was like, Ugh, whatever, man. <laughs> but but whatever. It he was he was twenty six at the time when you know you're gonna do stupid shit like that when you're twenty six. I don't know if he's still like cool with that, but it's kind of weird to be like, I'm gonna do this interview. But whatever. People, kids now that are in hardcore bands do way dumber shit every day. So it's like it's like a not even a fraction as dumb as. Uh, stupid shit that happens today but still kind of silly uh but like i said you can you don't need any update he's not really a hardcore dude anymore but he writes books he does other shit uh he's around um mm-hmm. lee fetzer played guitar on this he he was one of the guys who immediately peaced out once uh he heard duncan wanted to sing about depressions all the time <laughs> he was like i got other shit going on he is um he dunk lee lee was also a drummer so he was in been in a million billion bands he was he was in uh, in Kindle. He was also in Endpoint for a minute. Um, he was also <laughs> in a band called Seven More Seconds, which was just a seven seconds cover band. But I was really hoping it wasn't. I was really hoping he just started a band called Seven More Seconds that had nothing to do with Seven Seconds. But uh, that is not the case. Isn't he the one? Yeah, he's in the band called Kill the Man with the Ball, which is like yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. I, f- I forgot. I took a picture because there's so many other bands. He's in two. He was in two wrestling related bands. He was in a band yep. called Kayfabe and a band called Armbar. So uh, Lee's pretty cool. He's a regular guy now. He has an Instagram. It's pretty boring. He takes pictures of his cats. I know what that's like. That's all I do too. So uh, he, but you know, he's around Louisville. I don't know. I didn't dox him hard enough to see what his job was or anything, but he seems like a decent guy. So uh, whatever. Um, he doesn't hide from the past. He's like anytime some site makes new Ed Point merch, he'll post the link and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's he's not hiding from it. Uh, Kyle 
Nolan Meyer was the other guitarist. Um, he was one of the guys I think that wanted, wanted to stick around. Um, no, actually, I think Kyle wanted to piece out too. I can't remember. No, he now, stayed. He stayed okay. for the most. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Kyle stayed. Uh, he's he's always been and still is rocking with JC. He's a big Jesus guy, uh, even back then, which is kind of crazy to think about, but um, that's how it was. He's a business guy now. He runs a company called Meyer Company, which is his last name, so that's not shady at all. He's a ministry guy. He's doing ministry stuff. Um, that's as far as I delved because I don't I don't want that on me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't want to get too deep into a guy who runs a company that's just his last name that also has Big JC on his side. So I stopped looking. Either way, it doesn't look like he has any interest in music anymore. He seems yeah. to have gotten out of that life as soon as guilt was done, and uh, he started a family. I guess uh, John Smith played the drums on this. He didn't really do much after this, and uh, the only things I found about him were. If you go to the Guilt fan page, which I think might be run by Lee, but I'm not positive. It seems to be like uh, one of these guys who's very excited to, to run the, the Guilt fan page on Facebook, too. Um, they ca- they tag at John Smith, and you go to his, he'd go to his Facebook, and you would never imagine this guy would be in a, a band like Guilt. But I'm pretty sure it was him, but he's, uh, he's super into motorbikes and man stuff. Yeah. Um, he's super into going look Sasquatch hunting, which is, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> I scrolled pretty far into his Facebook and never found any Trump stuff, even though it was the complete MO of somebody who was gonna have some sketchy stuff about how they feel about people from other countries on their Facebook, but mm-hmm. never found it. So so God bless John Smith. He's a, he's a good one. That's all I found because his name is John Smith, and uh, you can't really search. <laughs> you can't really search the internet if you don't have a Facebook link. You cannot search the internet. Um, so when I was kind of like, uh, I'm not really sure if this is this is the guy from from Guilt. I found uh, Christian McCoy's page, and he's an actual biker. So John Smith seems a little a little less uh, like his his life his lifestyle choice in the future seems uh, a little more logical because yeah Christian McCoy seems to be a guy who's like in an actual biker gang yeah. I don't really know what level biker gang if he's in a murderous one or just a uh, biker gang of old <laughs> men that sit around and drink beer and just like wearing the vests and stuff but either way he's in a biker gang um, his Facebook profile picture right now is a four leaf clover that says proud Irish biker on it yep. and uh, another probably person you would expect to find uh some spicy opinions on his Facebook, but I couldn't find any. So, mm-hmm. so good. These are the two guys that <laughs> that you that look and sound like they would have spicy shit going on. But I think they're I think they're good dudes, and that's uh that's quite a relief. So that's uh that's the dirt I found on guilt. I think you covered most of what I got. The only thing what I found is that Lee actually doesn't live in Louisville anymore. He lives on the Treasure Coast of Florida, which is the okay. awesomest <laughs> name of any place ever. And he plays in a really straightforward, like dad hardcore band named the FA. Um, it's not bad. I just don't, it's really just plain hardcore. And mm-hmm. they're all, you know, older. Men. And in, in an interview with Duncan, he said that Lee worked with orphans and it didn't seem like a jokey context. <laughs> like, you know, it works yeah, with orphans. I, I think I saw that. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Yeah, so, yeah. So I hope he does something positive for orphans. I couldn't <laughs> find out, but I, I'm assuming. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Christian McCoy. Uh, there are so many things in the way of finding out anything about him. There's a there's a very enthusiastic bass fisherman uh, <laughs> who will take up any searches for Christian McCoy bass. Um, so you can't find him that way. And uh, then there's actually several Christian McCoys. Shout out to the other Christian McCoy bassist on Facebook who is extremely into weed and psychedelics. 
took up glass blowing just so he could make new ways to smoke, including a bowl shaped like an enormous blue glass scorpion that makes me want to smoke weed. Uh, his music is awful, but his passion is undeniable. But yeah, I saw, I found the real guy and it said, you know, it said proud Irish biker. That, that's all I need to know. I'm like, okay, I got, I got it. The surprises here are that Kyle, who is the Holy Roller, and, uh, you know, and he's in one of, he's in, I mean, I don't know much about church, but he's in the church where they refer to him as an elder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of those Frico churches, I think. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and he's like on, you know, he's on all the boards in Louisville. He's on all the whatever boards are. Like, yeah. you know, so he's he's getting his, his tendrils into everything. Uh, some of it might be kind of charitable. Like, I think he does a lot of his Jesus stuff to, like, do real charity. No, like, no bullshit. I think he does, like, real feed the homeless style charity. But he's also a landlord. <laughs> he's like his the Noltemeyer company is an apartment rental like a apartment building rental owning company which means you know he's a, he's a landlord so you know I don't get I don't understand church and I don't understand landlordism but they're both antithetical to punks yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I think it's I he's but the, the surprise is that I think he's still in guilt like the, when they do the reunions Kyle's still in it yeah so, yeah I think it's so funny to think about this landlord Jesus guy <laughs> getting up on stage and playing these, like rocking out with his, you know, know whatever. And yeah, I think John's even still in it. So it's just you know, both of John, the guy who was the, yeah, yeah. Into the crotch rockets or whatever, yeah. and he, he just being cool out in the desert or whatever. The reunion lineup, I believe, is Duncan, Kyle, John, and Ashley. Yeah. So these two weirdos get to share the stage with Ashley from Ink and Dagger, and I don't. <laughs> what, the, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Uh, and yeah, so Duncan, the, the main thing about him is that he resigned from hardcore, but did, did you read the article at all? It's, it's a little bit funny because I, I read some of it, but I, I was like, I don't want to read this. <laughs> the, the intro is that Duncan came to whoever wrote the interview and was like, yeah, hey, I think I'm going to write a letter into punk planet to tell yeah. them I'm resigning. <laughs> he yeah. was like, no, please don't do that. I'll uh, interview you and you can make it more organic than that or whatever. So the interview was actually probably a little bit better than what was going to happen. And, uh, yeah, he walked away to become a college professor. Like, that's so cool that so many hardcore dudes just get to fall back on being a college professor when, <laughs> when hardcore doesn't pan out. I don't know. I wish that worked for me. I don't know how that works. Um, and I think he's moved. He's bumped around a lot. So I don't know if it's because he's a bad college professor or if it's because he's a really good one. But he's started out in Denver and then he moved to Florida and now he's in South Dakota. So, he, you know, maybe, you know, they just need English in all these places and he gets where he, he goes where he's needed yep. to show to show them English. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's a novelist. I've seen his books out, too. I just didn't put it together. It's the same guy. Wow. Uh, they have very notable cover art that's like easily spotted cover <laughs> art and i've seen the covers and been and been like that name's really familiar and i don't know who i was thinking i think i was thinking of the other guy um there's like a indie rock lou Duncan barlow from that was like a lou barlow that's yeah. it i was thinking lou barlow yeah and um not dinosaur jr from, dinosaur, uh, uh, no yeah. that's jay sebado sebado yeah, yeah 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 sebado but uh, yeah, he's so he's kind of back to claiming punk after resigning these days. And he did, like he talks about how he was a punk musician and stuff like that. And they did the reunion in 2009. And they did that reunion because I believe there was a book called Burning Fight that came out. Yeah. And they interviewed them and they kind of got they, they had to put together a guilt reunion to help out with that book launch or something like that. And then they just stayed in the mix. I guess they stayed in touch and they were going to do a reunion in 2021. But it was COVID stuff was still going on and they decided to put it off. And I think that Duncan runs that fan site. Because I think okay. he posted like, oh, we were going to do a reunion, but things aren't really working out. So, you know, stay stay tuned. We're going to keep it going. Uh, so he's still doing guilt <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on the side for probably just for for funsies here and there. And uh, yeah, the stuff he does now is very, very gentle indie rock kind of stuff. I mean, it's rocking, but it's <laughs> really my it's for fans of probably the national or broken social scene. I don't know that genre. So 
Uh, I, I, he's been doing it for a long time with multiple bands now, so I assume he's an expert. So it's probably good. If you like that shit, it's probably good. All of his current press photos feature him in one of those Isaac from Children of the Corn hats. <laughs> yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Which makes me think he's a poltergeist priest, possibly for a living now. <laughs> he, he may be a poltergeist. So watch out if you go to the show. Uh, the most important fact I forgot to mention is that uh, our friend Drug Dogs, uh, he saw that we were going to do a guilt episode. He wanted everybody to know that he is selling a guilt t shirt yeah. on Depop, <laughs> uh, drugdogs.depop.com or drugdogs slash whatever. His username, Drug Dogs, on if you, uh, if this, uh, this episode inspires you to own guilt merchandise. So, uh, this is on. like when YouTubers start innovating the mid-roll ad to start. Yeah. <laughs> it's too late. You can't rewind. You can't fast forward now. Yeah. You're stuck. I want to tell you guys about Drug Dogs Depop. Guys. So I was. Uh, <laughs> um, this was on initial records. A little more Ink and Dagger talk because because uh, yeah. Ink and Dagger was also on initial records. This is a. Uh, Crazily enough, our first initial records release that we're talking about because right. uh, a lot of hits on initial records, so we didn't really get to talk about them. Um, and initial records had like a uh, more of an interesting backstory than I ever knew because I never really looked into it. I never look into record label backstories, so it's that's uh, a pretty cool one. But yeah, this was initial records number three, so they were kind of like bullshit at the time. So yeah. it wasn't like oh, we're signing new initial records. Uh, the first initial rec- records release was a band called Pitbull that I've never heard of. <laughs> and the the second release is a band called Ricochet I've never heard of. So maybe those will be done in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a couple other bombs after that. But then they got into Falling Forward and then Kindle and Gill and a lot of Falling Forward. Roosevelt's inaugural parade. Yeah. Uh, Despair, when then they got uh, when Enkindle became the Enkindles, they put that out. Slugfest, it's got all early Scott Vogel stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Boy Sets Fire, that was a huge one. Ink and Dagger, obviously. They, they they hit it out of the park and then they like just kind of slowly turned into like a, a real label that was putting out crazy shit like like not so much like I don't think it was shit that people really liked a lot but it was like shit that was you know trying to be on MTV type of shit yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know I kind of lost like they put out a band called Paulson that I remember being like what the fuck is this and they're putting out stuff like that they're still putting out like heavy stuff like they put out the breather resist uh, seven inch or. Mm-hmm. LP, no, they put, yeah, put out Breather Resist LP, but that was super heavy. Put out Black Cross, I was never into. Uh, Black, no, I like Black Cross. Black Widows was the band. One of those black bands they put out, they put, they put them both out like back to back. I can't remember which one was which, but one was like not too great and the other one was good. So I guess, I guess, you know, they didn't put out as much wimpy stuff as I thought they did. They did, they put out a fair share, but it definitely wasn't as much as I thought. A lot of Jazz June. And yeah. That was uh, pretty <laughs> wimpy. But uh, I thought they, I thought they were one of those bands that got like, or one of those labels that got into that, like EVR territory. I was just putting out like coffee house rock, but I guess yeah. I guess it wasn't really that bad. They put out some things here and there, but it wasn't as insane as I did. But uh, so I guess initially, <laughs> Initial Records was started by three people at a Dunkin' Donuts. Um, uh, I guess Car- Dennis, Carolyn, and Andy Rich, and then Dennis and Carolyn kind of split after a few releases, and it just became Andy Rich's thing, and. Um, there was just like a couple things I wanted to read from their, their Wikipedia. Uh, they put out about a hundred releases. And then in the, <laughs> this is the craziest fucking fact um, outside of that hardcore label that um, what was a Steve Aoki put out a hardcore label. He's on that hardcore label. What was the hardcore label? Steve Aoki was on. Oh, geez. <laughs> I forgot which we we're talking about already, but many episodes ago, we we're talking about how the Steve Aoki was on a record label. One of the bands. Dimock. Dimock. Yeah. Dimock. Yeah. Uh, but this is, 
something I never knew. In the April 1988 issue of Playboy magazine, declared Initial one of the country's ten hottest record labels. <laughs> what the fuck? Like how Cha-cha. did that, that? That how did that happen? I I need to know if that was like literal Playboy magazine or if it was like Playboy.com or something. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference. So. Uh, I can't like I I need to see that list. I didn't I didn't research, but I need to see if that list is on. Like, cause I I need to see the other nine record labels on there. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, that's pretty crazy. That's a pretty crazy accolade. The May '98 issue of um, AP, aka Alternative Press, uh, named in, Initial as one of the ten independent labels that have helped change not only the way hardcore sounds but the way it does business. Uh, that's probably true. Uh, yeah, Andy was the guy who ended up moving to Louisville. They started in Detroit, and uh, he he went to business school. So I think that's what changed the kind of uh, the tastes and sound of of initial and releasing like uh, you know kind of bands for a wider audience. Uh, but the the other crazy fact outside of the Playboy thing is that now Andy is the director of poker operations at the Golden Nugget Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, which uh, I didn't even know that was a job. But director sounds- of poker, you say? <laughs> That sounds like a pretty cool fucking job. So, yeah. so yeah, I never knew Initial had such a, and and you know, if you asked me yesterday, does Initial still exist? I would say absolutely. They're still putting out stuff, <laughs> but no, they stopped putting out stuff many years ago. I just yeah. I just uh kind of assumed 2004 was their <laughs> last release. Um so yeah, I, I just kind of assumed they kept going, but they I guess they had a, they got had some kind of weird repress in 2010, but the the most of the stuff was stopped in 2004. Uh but yeah, that's Initial. Yeah, I guess they uh, like Crazy Fest spawned back up around that same time too. So I don't know if that. Yeah. That I, I'm assuming that that 2010 thing was like they put up Bandcamp or something. Yeah, it says MP3 and, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and, okay. and just that one was the only one that had to spark a. Uh, yeah. So he scooped all my jokes. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> uh, the only thing I wanted to say is that this is this label is home to you know one of my favorite records of all time, heavily covered a few episodes back, and it's also home to the first seven inch clubs reappraised favorite band metro shifter although they oh, don't yeah. have they don't have the only album that i think we knowingly vouch for for and say <laughs> metro shifter not on here but this label was home to just all kinds of stuff that i had immense trouble getting my hands on but was curious about <laughs> like in the early 90s i was uh, I, I don't know if they had terrible distro in our region but it's just like there was all these bands i'd hear about on alt music hardcore or whatever couldn't get a hold of them to save my life falling forward <laughs> and then kindle and all and jazz doing all that stuff now, now that I hear all of it easily and freely, I'm quite confident I would not have liked most of it <laughs> when I was 19. <laughs> you know, like maybe old and Kindle, because that's that's pretty hard actually. Before yeah. they went to be the in Kindles, uh, but definitely not Roosevelt's inaugural parade. I was not going to be into any of that shit. So it's, it's <laughs> congratulations on being the director of of poker, Candy Rich. That's, that's tight. Also, please take a moment to look at the Pitbull record cover. It is so cool. It's okay. just them like standing on some street looking menacingly down the street like they're going to get in a fight. But the singer looks like Meatloaf. He looks like he's wearing a public enemy shirt. He looks like Meatloaf. And his other guy that's with him is like skinny and shirtless. And he's got so much weird hair that it looks like he has Yakuza tattoos. Oh, yeah, you're right. Wow. It's so cool. It's such an awesome cover. Please take time out of it. It's P-I-T-T bull. It's not, yeah. not just one T. Putting us on the want list. This is, this is high priority. We get our hands on the, the Pitbull record to talk oh. about it. And the typography on the back of it is so bad, I can't wait. I'm, like, drooling to get this, this record <laughs> on the show. Okay, uh, now we can get this record out into a tray. Nice. Um, so this is the Guilt 7-inch. It's all black and white. It's a nice, uh, you know, nice glossy card stock fold-up. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not going to damn initial records at the time, but my copy did not come with a 
with a sleeve on the record. I don't know, mm. like a dust mm. jacket. So yeah. I don't know if that was initial records or the place I bought it from. But so there's no dust jacket. There is no um, insert. It's just a a full a two panel fold out, and then uh, in the inside, it's you know printed both front and back. So that's what you get. It's pretty simple, pretty cheap. Again, it's their third release, so you can't really expect much. Um, like I said, the covers in black and white with red type with gilt and just kind of a Times New Roman. It's kind of spaced out. Um, and there's a picture on the front. And uh, I got to say that when I was in high school, uh, I took photography class, but it wasn't, it was like extracurricular. <laughs> and uh, so I only, it was like, I got to go on Saturdays and I wasn't going to do that too often. So I ended up going two or three times before I was like, I'd rather do literally anything with my Saturday than going to more school. But uh, within that, that, that three week period of going to photography class, I think me and everybody I was in that photography class with took a variation of this picture on the front cover. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this yeah. is the most high school photography class picture ever. It's very much in the vein of uh, Minor Threat, a teen boy like slumped over on a bunch of steps. But uh, it's, it's just a normal 90s teen boy pose. All teen boys were doing this pose at all times. And uh, it's captured here. Um, you probably, if you're from the 90s, you probably have tons of teen boy pictures like this because mm -hmm. uh, that's that's how it was. And it's black and white. And that's what you do in photo class. You take black and white photos because it's cheaper. And uh, <laughs> the, back, the, the back, another another photo class staple, we have a, a shadowy figure in a silhouette holding an American flag. I might even have a, a picture like this in one of my photo books. Like this <laughs> is just a standard 90s high school photo class. Um I don't think they give credit. Oh no, photos by Chris Higdon. I don't know if Chris Higdon. I didn't look it up to be see if they're a pro photographer now or if they're just a high school photographer. But I'm gonna guess it's the latter either way. And uh, so that's pretty much the the front and back. The inside just has the lyrics. Um, they have a, like a really nice pro shot photo on the inside. This is not high school at all. This is a very good photo of uh, the band playing, even though kind of looks like they're in the middle of a boring part of the song. And. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe they could have got a better photo, but photos are scarce back then. So what are you going to do? Um, it looks like that they do a cool personal thing where it looks like the uh, the lyric section. It looks like it was probably his actual lyrics that they photocopied right. into the uh, into the the cover because it has like little notations and stuff like that. That's a cool little touch. You're like, oh man, this guy's this guy's so deep. He's a uh, <laughs> his notations and stuff. And it's pretty simple. Beyond that, it's just a little thank yous here and there. Um, the song titles or the songs are kind of in a willy-nilly order, kind of like that give up 7-inch. But this isn't as bad because it's not 10 songs. So uh, you kind of figure it out. But it's a little little not into the great order. Um, the initial records logo is a little different back then. It was still an I, a lowercase I, in a little box. It's It looks more uh, it looks more like two damn hype records back then. Yeah, so it has, it has for the, sure. The fat impact font and stuff like that. It and the circular like, text. The circular text yeah. around is totally too damn hype. It looks a little more street, but uh, again, they were coming from uh, all the way from Detroit, and it looks like Pitbull. I don't know if they actually were, but it looks like they were trying to be hard men. So uh, th this kind of initial logo suits the more hard man version of uh, of initial before, like within four releases, they, they shed that hard man skin and just started putting out pussy stuff. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, that you know, for night, what is this, 1993? This came in 93. It was recorded in 92. Um, this looks like a record of its time outside of, I will like in 93, I was, I wouldn't tell, I couldn't tell you that this was high school photography, 2022, me almost 2023 is this high school photography. It looks fine. It looks like this boy is sad. The sad teen boy has a lot of despair in his heart. 
Um, and I feel for him. So I like this cover, even though it's kind of simple and silly, but I like the packaging on this. Uh, I think Christopher Higdon is the singer of Falling Forward and Elliot. Okay. I, I think he's a singer. I'm not sure. He's in one of those. So it's, he, this this was probably a marriage of convenience. He probably okay. had some photography lying around. Yeah, from high and, school. Uh, yeah, from <laughs> high school. And uh, I basically was about to tell the almost the same story. Only for me, it was college, so that's pathetic. Uh, <laughs> I just didn't do photography. I never did photography. And then I had to take the class. And I'm like... And I had to do a whole semester's worth of assignments in a weekend, and everything looks like this this record cover because this is what you do. <laughs> but the thing that really the thing that really like communicates what we're talking about is that the, your friends will always be in their street clothes. Yeah. So they'll like this guy, you know, whoever this is, I'm sure this is Duncan or something like that. He's just wearing like his his Vans and mm-hmm. his like you know his skater dude uh, giant shirt and uh, giant pants or whatever, and and it's in broad daylight, which is pretty artless. <laughs> you know, it kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and it, uh actually since there's like an ominous second shadow being cast on it, it also reminds me of the corn debut so this is a, a lot it's got a lot like the corn album cover um american flag photo on the back is a little bit better but the type the typography on the back is so default like when you open a powerpoint and it says click to add title it's that <laughs> font i think most of the inside is fine though like i like the photo with that scratchy like photo strip border mm-hmm. I like the uh, the hand type scribbled lyric sheet. I don't. I think when you do that though, you reveal a little bit too much because it, if you're like kind of screaming the same word over and over, it should feel kind of like in the mood. Like I'm just overcome and I'm saying lies, <laughs> lies, lies. And when you write X three next to the word lies, and I can see it. I'm kind of like, oh, so you you plan to go crazy there? I get it, man. And then. The initial records, I was thinking, two, uh, there's another label I'm blanking on. Too Damn Hype was one of them. I was thinking of it was like another one, like a crossover kind of label or something like that. But it also made me think of the 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 way that they stick the logo on that page. Made me think of like old department store surf shirts, like Body Glove, and <laughs> like Mount Maui and Sons or whatever. <laughs> there could be like a gentle beach photo or there could be a surfing ape and it doesn't matter. They stick that logo in the corner and it's, it's Body Glove. Uh, the only thing I hate on this record is that devil guy. Yeah. Uh, and they lean on it, I think, as like a branding thing to this day. I think they use it once in a while to sort of that, that's what, you know, I think that they they use it as like a teaser here and there. And I don't think it fits the guilt pitch. I think what guilt is bringing to you is not a, a naughty devil. Like <laughs> <laughs> uh, it kind of and it, it like I think a lot of the sort of pivotal between the cracks post hardcore bands had something like this, like you know, the dag nasty flame head guy and. Mm-hmm. I think guilt's naughty devil's the worst. I think it's the worst one of these naughty, naughty mascots I've ever seen. And I, and I don't approve of it. I think I don't, I, I guess it stayed the same. I think they, they tighten up the, the actual uh, text logo of guilt, but they kept yeah. that. Uh, they kept the naughty devil. The whole time. <laughs> yep. Okay. So now we can get into the music on this. Um, this is five whole tracks. Oh, before we get into the music, I did want to mention this is also there is also seven versions of this record, which is insane in 1993. <laughs> that is uh, that is real 2000s thinking right there. I don't even know what the fuck was so special about this record where they're they're like we need to release this on seven different colors. But <laughs> if uh, you are a guilt completist, let me know if you have all seven colors of this record because uh, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of clever too because they swap like the name is written in red on the cover. On yeah. the black and white, and they swap the red and the blacks, and the name is written in black on the red version of the cover. Oh, I didn't, I didn't notice yeah, that. They do I got this. I got, I got the corny black version, which is worthless, and mm-hmm. I think they're all kind of worthless. But uh, mine has a price tag on the the plastic for eight dollars. I don't wow. think any, no one ever paid eight dollars. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't pay eight dollars for the seven inch. Who are you fucking fooling? No. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, so yeah, this is a this is a five track record, almost full sound, pretty much full sound. 
Um, two songs on the first side, three songs on the second. I was, uh, if you guys want to listen to this easy, it's, um, there's a Spotify, like partial guilt discography mm-hmm. and it's on there, but all the songs are in the wrong sequence and they're titled wrong too. Yeah, so, yeah. um, we, we have the only true version of guilt's empty. So <laughs> do not trust that partial discography cause it's wrong, <laughs> but we can get into the first track. First track is called blame. Starts off with Duncan singing about looking in the mirror. That's a uh, long, long hardcore trope. You're always looking in the mirror, so, uh, <laughs> so that's cool. Um, this is very, this is very, very new school hardcore. This is exactly what their discog says. This is the ultimate supreme new school hardcore. And because of that, I'm definitely into this. I love the sound of this. <laughs> it has that bounce. It has that kind of like we're not we're not too heavy, but we're not light. And, um, it just has a great sound that doesn't really exist anymore because no one could replicate this because it just had to be there. Um, I'm definitely into it. It's uh, there's a cool trippy guitar lead where the guy just kind of doesn't know what he's doing, so he's just going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a cool sound. Uh, uh, he uh, Duncan almost briefly hits scat territory where he almost starts scatting on this uh, track, but not quite. It's almost there. And uh, speaking of corn, there is the total corn blind bass breakdown part from this song. <laughs> yeah, there is. I, th- <laughs> I think corn owned this record, and we're like, there's a couple things we're gonna steal. We're gonna steal that cover. And we're gonna steal that cool bass breakdown because they do it. It's the same. Or is it? I think it is. It might be the. Uh, it might be that song. I can't remember. <laughs> but this is a corn. Like this is note for note a corn bass breakdown, and uh, it's crazy to hear that <laughs> like a hardcore record. But there you go. So now I have an excuse for liking corn. Back in the day, it was pretty much. Uh, it was stolen right from a, a hardcore band. So there you mm-hmm. go. Yep. Uh, surprised you didn't bring up that the intro was just one of those days. All yeah. about the he said, she said <laughs> bullshit. And also, just another victim. <laughs> Karen! Yeah. Yeah, this guilt is, is uh, they're responsible for all of new metal. Apparently. <laughs> we didn't know. The spark yeah. was guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the start, song actually starts out like a little groove metal 101 because it's using <laughs> a riff used by a lot of other people. And it's looking bad for them guilt boys. But then they get into the heavy part. <laughs> and it's almost kind of like nursery rhyme style, which is also kind of like corn, you know, that they, <laughs> the chorus is kind of like, it's almost like carp because carp, did yeah. the, ah, bah, 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 bah. you know, they do that kind of like nursery rhyme singing sometimes, or maybe Nelly, maybe it's kind of like <laughs> Southern grammar for a minute. Yep. And that's pretty good. Um, I like that. It stays there a long time too. Like they found the good part. Like, oh, we'll just, let's just keep doing this. <laughs> we'll just do this a bunch. They let <laughs> you chew on that uh, really rudimentary, but heavy good part. And then Duncan starts talking. <laughs> 
And yep. I've had it. I've had it, Mike, with people <laughs> talking on these records. I'm docking two points right now for talking, and they can't get it back. They can't recover it. I don't care if they play my Michelle later on the record. They're not getting any of these two <laughs> points back. But this song slaps. This is a good. This is really too bad how bad they fucked up uh, because mm-hmm. this is actually pretty good. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but a lot of uh, reviews and, like, write-ups about them talk about them being pioneers of noise metal. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> really? But it, it makes sense later in the discography. Yeah. But to hear them doing groove metal so early on in their career is, is very zesty, yeah. <laughs> uh, given uh, given all that yeah. information. Uh, second track is called Tag. This is also very new school. This is very bouncy, very groovy. Yeah. Uh, this has little emo breaks in it, though, where it's like we're going to get real sad for a minute and then get back and jump around. And that's, <laughs> a, that's a, you know, I think I said that last week or the week before. And that, that's just how you did it back then. I yeah. need that simple shit in my life. It was 1993. I need these simple cues. So I like it. <laughs> uh, this is using the, he, they get access to the broken radio filter on this, yep, yep. which uh, 93 is still, still fucking high tech to be using broken radio filter back then. Pretty cool. I'm also man enough to admit I don't quite understand these lyrics, and I don't mm-hmm. think uh, I don't know what Duncan's trying to say here. It starts off. He says, "What does a boy say to his mom when she can no longer buy his clothes?" And you're like, "Is this song about the homeless?" <laughs> but it's not. It's about being a slave and a, a victim, and with a price tag. Uh, what's this? With a price tag, we scar ourselves and stuff like that. I don't wow. quite understand. Like, I understand it probably ends up that it means the government stinks or society stinks <laughs> or something like that, but it's a long way to get there. I don't really understand. There's talk about the mindless machine that we're just dirty fuel of and yeah. lies and like, I don't, I, this song is kind of aimless to me uh, for a guy who's just, you know, so revered for, you know, thoughtful lyrics and depressions and stuff. Mm-hmm. The song is kind of uh, just a lot of shit being spouted with no real meaning to me. Maybe I'm just an idiot, though. I'm just an idiot goon. But um, I like the song. I just think the lyrics are kind of silly. Maybe we could just have these lyrics. We could we could yeah. make this a new, new record with, with yeah. these lyrics intact. Yeah. Uh, I think it was pretty hard to see the intro groove coming. They put they they play these like two chords back and forth, and it's like it's going to go into kind of a washy like emo wimp rock part, or maybe like mm-hmm. an Interpol kind of thing. And then instead, it's like. I wasn't seeing that. I wasn't seeing that halftime coming, and it was pretty unique. And um, the chorus is just people yelling lies <laughs> over like the most rudimentary heavy part ever, which rules. I just think they're like, <laughs> fuck it, just play. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then they go into one of those like skitter picking emo epic outros, you know, like those parts. I love those parts. I'll eat those up. I, I think it's great. Um, I'm badly insulted that they escalated the talking part with a broken bullhorn. <laughs> uh, that's that's two more points you stupid fucks you only you got three songs to go you only got one point left but i but i like i like what this song does it's like it's like some weird hard man emo strut that these guys invented for this song and i never owned this record as a kid but i would have made a whole box set out of ripping off this song i would because I, there's so many fun things in this i would have I would borrowed all of it every single every stitch of it 
Uh, then we flip the side. I forgot to mention that the first side is called side step, and the second side is called side down. Oh, I didn't catch be, that. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> they used to be called step down, so this is side down now. Yeah. Uh, first track on side down is Rain. This is interesting because now they're just a normal hardcore band. This is just yeah. a normal, boring hardcore song. It's <laughs> it's slightly melodic, which I like. I like more melodic style hardcore than just hard hardcore. So I was like, that's interesting. But it's mm-hmm. it's like, I, so before I read the the lengthy information on Guilt, I just assumed that the first the first side was like the newer Guilt stuff, and the mm-hmm. la- the second side was the step down stuff. But no, this is all step down stuff. So these guys were confused. Uh, from day one, I guess. But, you know, it, it's that time. It's that window between 91 and 93 where everybody was confused. So I get it. But this is just like after the first two songs, which were, you know, as much as we're busting their balls, were pretty cutting edge for 1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just it's good. Like it's played well. It's it's good. Like I think they would, you know, probably uh, just hold their own against any band that sounded like this in 1992. But it's still just boring hardcore. Yeah. Um, there's uh, parts over and over again where where. Uh, Duncan says a bunch of sentences that start out with "you said," which uh, I just assume is the the heavy chain of strength influence because they you, know, it's, you said yeah. it wasn't he's taking it seriously. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so I I guess he he ripped that "you said" part off from Chain of Strength. So I'm gonna say guilt was um, influenced by Chain of Strength, and and then Corn uh, was influenced by guilt. So you could say that Chain of Strength is actually responsible for new metal now they are yeah. <laughs> they are the linear grandfathers of new metal is yeah. chain of strength uh that's about it for this song nothing nothing really to talk about i think it's it's got to have been mandatory for southern punk bands to have a song that sounds like a veil because this <laughs> yeah this, yeah i get that yeah yeah uh, but they do show a veil a yeah. thing or two They're like you know if you screamed a lot more you'd still be a hardcore band so <laughs> whatever the fuck you guys are you could be <laughs> and uh catchy punk songs that went into heavy screaming parts were like i really liked that when i was 17 i didn't get a lot of it like if I'd heard too much of it, I think I would have lost the taste for it. Yeah. But I dug that. Like if you if you're you were kind of like a straightforward hardcore part, but then all of a sudden it was like somewhere <laughs> in the song, I was super into that. And um, more of this band showing whatever the noise metal thing they had inside them because there's like twin metal guitars uh, mm-hmm. in a few parts. They're kind of buried, they're kind of hidden, but you get to these certain parts and they're doing this kind of like a uh, uh, Judas Priest thing, I guess, kind of. But uh, <laughs> it's it's weird to be in this this genre of song. It's kind of a straightforward hardcore song that has these. These twin twin leads run. Uh, this song's okay. You know, if it's if this was the only fa- if this was the only fast punky song on a hardcore record, we'd be good. Yeah. But but is it, Mike? Is it no. is this the only fast punky <laughs> song on this hardcore uh, record? No, because then where the next track is called Sandcastle. <laughs>
Wow, this is even more normal hardcore. This is <laughs> normaler than the last one. Although this does have like a new school interlude, so they were trying to bridge the gap, but it's not enough. This yeah. is uh, you, this is boring normal hardcore outside of that new school inter- interlude. It also loses major points because uh, he, Duncan once again mentions looking in the mirror. <laughs> and, uh, you can't do that twice on a five-song, seven-inch man. You only look in the mirror once, <laughs> maybe once your whole discography. So doing yeah. it twice within four songs is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, this is the the worst song on the record. Yeah. This is the song where I started to feel like maybe this record was pressed upside down. Yeah. Because yeah. this band is de-evolving from, <laughs> from uh, uh, into an ordinary, faster hardcore band. Uh, but And then I was thinking, like you thought, maybe they stuck some of the old stuff at the end, but it's just like, yeah. I don't know. But it can't be because these lyrics are still like really melodramatic, like hopeless depression stuff. And yeah. uh that makes it more interesting that this more like stressful fast song is literally about self-loathing and failure. I like that. Uh, I just I just hope that we end this record on a really goony slammerino. I can live with <laughs> I can live with my choices if we get really goony for the next track. So that's my hope. Uh, so the last track is called One Ten Four. Starts off amazingly with a, uh, I assume Duncan scre- screaming "Wow!" <laughs> and it's overlapped nine hundred times like an integrity song, and yep. it's insane. It is like mind blowing for nineteen ninety two. Holy shit! Yeah, it's just like it's already like a perfect song right there. Uh, it's a, outside of that, it's a it's a good new school song. I don't think it's as strong as the the first couple tracks, but it has like a, a touch of normal hardcore. So it's kind of like again bridging the gap where you're like anybody could get into this song. It's pretty cool. It also has the little. It's they're just putting all the best parts of the seven inch together on the song. It has a little emo rep, repro, uh, little emo um, talking with a little emo breaks, and then it reprises back in the whoa, whoa <laughs> again. Um, overall, the lyrics are pretty much suffering, tortured shit. That's mm-hmm. my shit right there. That's what I like. Yeah. So uh, this is yeah, this is like a good little present to end the record with. It wraps everything up perfectly. It even uh, kind of nods a little to the boring songs on it. It's a uh, a perfect way for old guilt to go out before the new guilt starts. Yeah, it's not not goony. Uh, <laughs> the song title made me think of two by four, but it's not it's not goony. <laughs> yeah. But it is kind of menacing. As you know, yeah. you know, uh, in Michael Jackson, Black or White, when it gets all hard, and just before Macaulay Culkin raps, yeah, and uh, when he's just marching fearlessly through clan flames and going, I'm scared of your sheets and all that <laughs> shit. That's how the song makes me feel because it's like it's like. It's marching powerfully through angry situations or, you know, stomping through a dangerous city. Uh, But uh, the lyrics are about succumbing to despair and giving up on everything. (laughs) Not that brave. It's kind of like a, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you get hit by a bat while you're marching fearlessly through the city streets in this song. But I do appreciate that he tries to sing the talking part in this song. It's not quite enough, uh, but he, he, it's a step. And like, you know, I like that when he runs out of words, in that part, he he definitely just goes all vocal test and just starts going, wah, wah. <laughs> and uh, that's I think that's the only layered vocals in the whole record. Yeah, he got that part. He's like, oh, I got an idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Give me seven of these. But yeah, this is a cool song. I love to march powerfully, so I'm going to march powerfully to this song. Someday. 
Uh, so there you have it. There is uh, Guilt Empty. That is their 7-inch. Um, overall, you know, it's pretty interesting. It's it's kind of like when I got this and I started listening to it, I was like, I wonder why this doesn't really go for a bunch of money. Because it's it's Guilt, which was, you know, they're not the, the most famous victory band, but they're still a victory band. They had a famous guy in it. Um, and it's an early initial records release, and it's still like a two or three dollar record. And it's just kind of like I can understand after listening to it because it's like if you're a guilt fan, who gives a fuck about this record? <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't sound like the guilt you know. Right. So the only people that would really be interested in this are weirdos like us or just people from Louisville. So I understand why it's not an expensive record. Uh, with that said, I usually grade these records either throw it in the trash. Uh, just listen to it on streaming, buy it for uh, bargain bin clearance prices, buy it for full price, or buy it for collector's prices. I like this record. I think this record's pretty good. Um, I don't think this record is going to ever light the uh, the collector's world on fire if it hasn't already. So I'm going to say this is this is a pretty good bargain record. If you find this for a bargain, and I have never, ever seen this record in my life up until I bought it from uh, Discog. <laughs> so this isn't a record I come across too often. So... You know, if you see this for three or four bucks or two or three bucks, whatever, just pick it up. I wouldn't buy buy it for the eight dollars on this price tag or anything like that. But this is a good two or three dollar record, especially if you're into that kind of new school hardcore that a lot of bands try to replicate for the past few years. But they can't really can't because just this, that that heart and fire and soul of not knowing what the fuck you were doing doesn't exist anymore. So. So if you're like that, but if you like newer guilt, just uh, skip this one because yeah. <laughs> sounds nothing like that. And even then, I was telling Scott like right before we started the seven inch after this, there's a there's a song on that that just sounds like Earth Crisis. It's so fucking heavy. So mm-hmm. we might have to do a guilt sequel if I get my hands on that <laughs> record because I need to know what that's all about. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's a decent record. It's just uh, I I understand why it's only two or three bucks. Yeah, I already had I had Barstown Ugly Box and I had Further and I had mm-hmm. the By the Grace of God seven inch, which was like the one with the dollar the dollar sign yeah, on the yeah. front and uh I bought all of it kind of around the same time cuz I was confused and <laughs> I stayed confused like I thought like I said earlier I thought I was supposed to be into that Louisville shit cuz it was all it was all people were talking about for like one year probably <laughs> and I stretched it out in my brain but and then I also confused it with the kind of Midwest emo later on I thought it was all kind of the same thing yeah but it was really tough to explore this as a broke kid in Albany and none of my friends were in, into this idea no, nobody else was buying the records to share with me or anything like that. So I grabbed some stuff out of the bin when I saw it, and it's all Duncan Barlow bands. I didn't know that. And I'm like, <laughs> why is the singer all sound? Why do all these singers sound the same from this fucking town? And why is By the Grace of God suck so bad? And I don't know. I, and I was I've tried with guilt a lot over the years. And I'm never sure if I like them or not because Barstown Ugly Box is it's it's a weird combination of like dismal, dreary rainy day post hardcore and like kind of tough choruses yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they can't decide if they want to be tough or depressed and it's a weird collision and <laughs> further further is a little more exciting but it's still dismal and the guitars sound like they were produced by collective soul they're like really <laughs> weird they're distorted but they're really like almost like computer distorted or something like that um duncan said in one of his interviews that i read that they never really found an audience and people weren't really receptive to guilt when they were trying to get out there i could see that yeah even if they're on vectory i could just see how this would be something about this band makes them sound like the second band on the bill the one who's like a little too a little good and has good equipment but they're just a little too earnest and shy and weird and not fun to watch (laughs) like even though they're like really good at what they're doing and it was like really difficult like they don't have 
on uh, Bardstown at least they don't have real song names. That's, yeah, that's hard. And I want to say the best song on the the record is the one that's like thirty eight minutes long or something. So, <laughs> so they didn't make it easy yeah. for people to to like them. Yeah, it further <laughs> starts off with a six minute build up. Yeah, yeah. The records, the first track is just like a long ambient buildup on a hardcore record. Jesus. <laughs> but I like a lot of stuff on this seven inch. I think this is closer to the early kind of post hardcore, not non screamy hardcore that made it through my filters when I was a teen. And I would have added some of this to the small bucket of riffs that I've been coasting on for 25 years. Uh, my whole musical education is like maybe 20 songs and eight of them are Sepultura. Like I, when I play a guitar riff, I'm like, oh, that's just off of Beneath the Remains again. That's the, that's the only record I know how to play. Um, but as I said, Guilt unfortunately chose to talk some lyrics in nearly every song, so they lost 10 points. That brings us to negative five green bullet microphone points out of five, which is that's the worst score so far ever, and I can't fix it. Yeah. Nothing can be done. Nothing can there be done about Guilt. it. You fucked up. You fucked up big time. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure uh, you're going to be really bummed out once you hear this episode. Uh, that's it. Uh, next week will be, is it going to be 2023 next week? Yeah, yeah it will be. This is their last episode of 2022. We really went through the year. Time flies, I guess, as they say. <laughs> um, next week, it's kind of the same deal where our uh, listener, Patrick, who's nice enough to send us records from his own personal collection wow. to uh, do on the show. And one of them, I think, is going to be very interesting. And uh, so I'm not quite sure if we're going to do it next week because I think um, I'm not going to be traveling or anything. But my schedule's all fucked up because of the holiday. So uh, I, we're either going to do another so softball next week or we're going to do one of Patrick's records. I'll see how, how I feel in the next couple days. But um, until then, do you have any last words, Scott? Wow! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> okay, fuck Charlie Day. Happy New Year, you fucking sacks of shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>